Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey there, thanks for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. A few weeks ago, we started a conversation with spiritual director Chris Wood on stress, worry, and overwhelm, but we didn't get to finish. We had to split it into two episodes to fully do it justice, and it's finally time to get to part two. Sorry if the waiting stressed you out, but I promise there was a reason for it. We just flipped the calendar to the month of November, and the next eight weeks tend to be the busiest of the year, sometimes unnecessarily so, creating an exorbitant amount of pressure for us because in addition to going to work and raising family, it feels like there's three million other things that we need to do, like go shopping for Christmas presents, start stocking up for Thanksgiving, the kids have random days off from school, winter sports are starting, etc., etc. Within the last four weeks alone on our podcast, we've talked about the pains of infertility, politics in Pennsylvania as it pertains to pro-life legislation, vocations and career choices, all of which are sources of stress, worry, and overwhelm for many of us. And it can be hard to determine what a healthy level of stress looks like, especially during such a busy season. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, I'd pause here and jump back to episode 86 to help you put into context what you may be feeling. Because today, we're going to dive deeper, and we're going to talk about what unhealthy levels of stress, worry, and overwhelm look like when we should consider seeking the assistance of medication, and tactile ways we can improve our stress levels naturally. To start, I want to go back to something you said about medication. I want to talk about that for a second because I know neither of us are physicians and we're not, you know, psychiatrists or psychologists, but having struggled with anxiety in my own life to the point where I needed medication, when should we consider help in the form of therapy or medication? Like when... When is it too much that just praying isn't isn't really cutting it for us anymore? Well, if you're in spiritual direction and you're dealing with these in spiritual direction, you know, as a spiritual director who goes through a formation program like I did, we have the ability to discern and to give you that advice. So that's one step, but Mm -hmm. obviously not everybody's in spiritual direction. But for me, uh, I would say... For sure, when you start having physical symptoms or the beginnings of that, because that's one of the things I recently just read. Actually, I'll just pull it up real quick. Sure. Um, this is something I've been reading about anger, but it also relates to, because um, anger comes with these things too. When we're stressed and worried and overwhelmed, usually we also struggle with anger. And oh, for sure. Moments. And irritability. Yeah, and... big time. So I just read, this is from uh, some a doctor So he's talking about anger, but this also relates to what we've been talking about. Okay. So he's talking about the long-term effects of anger, but I know this also is the same for long-term effects of really bad anxiety and stress. Ulcers, heart ailments, strokes, arthritis, and depression. So for sure, I always believe that we should explore every option before we go to medicine because we don't want to just spend our whole lives tranquilized because usually... You know, anxiety, mood meds or tranquilizers, Mm -hmm. from what I understand. Um, And there's a need for that and there's a time for that. Um, But we live in a society now where I've talked to people who struggle with depression or anxiety. And like, I'm like, okay, well, do you see a therapist or a psychologist? And they're like, yeah, I see my psychiatrist once a month. I'm like, well, what do you talk about? He's like, oh, they're just med checks. I'm like, well, what about like, practical tools like what do you do for like working on this on a different level and he's like well you know people just describe they just go and see this psychiatrist and they talk about how they're feeling and then they adjust the meds so it's like this idea that you'll just this med makes you feel better so you'll just take it until you don't need it or forever which is for a lot of people so 
my inclination is to do everything you can before you take medicine, but for sure, if you're experiencing physical symptoms, but also when you get to a point where you can't function in what you're called to do again, like there's practical things we can do with prayer and also stepping back from things, taking a break from things, saying no to things, slowing our life down, simplifying our lives, meditation, breath work. Like there's all these wonderful things to help. Again, I'm talking about with stress where all the things we're talking about, but if you get to a point where you're really trying these things, but you're, you're still, it's still just not working, then you'd want to take that next step. But I would say like an easy place to draw the line is if you're dealing with anxiety so bad or stress or whatever, that you are at a point where you can't function, like you can't do the, the basic things you're supposed to do, like take care of yourself and your children and be uh, effective in your marriage or whatever, like, or your job like then you might need to make a more significant jump. But up until that point, I would recommend everyone try everything they can to avoid being tranquilized, <laughs> basically. Because I've talked to quite a few people who have taken medicine, also for depression too, and they they don't like it, you know, like because it may make them feel better but it also doesn't make them feel great either. Like they don't, they're not fixing the problem. Mm. So again, like I don't want to sound like I'm anti-medicine because it has a place. I've known people with chemical imbalances, like they need these things. But when it comes to stress and anxiety, I think there's a real epidemic in today's world where people are just going the easy route and just getting the tranquilizers and just being medically tranquil, which I don't think we're called to do that. But again, if you're to the point in your life where you can't function and it's becoming unhealthy, then you should take a look at that. But still also try and work on the other things to get to a point where you no longer need those medicines. So Yeah, uh, for, as, as someone who has been medicated several times in my life, I did not like it every single time that I was on it. It just... I felt like I couldn't be creative mm -hmm. and like when it was at its worst, it felt like there were two of me and like I was dragging one side of me like through life. It just felt like I was existing. But I will say when I was especially struggling with postpartum depression, which came with generalized anxiety, it was just a whole fun bag of, you know, emotions. Um, it, it legit saved my life because I was not, I was, like you said, I was not functioning. I, my hygiene, yeah. I couldn't take care of myself, let alone take care of my newborn baby. I was working and it was just, it was too much. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that like medication and therapy are definitely tools to keep in a box. And I, and I feel like if you're going to do the medication route, you absolutely have to do talk therapy as well, because it's nothing but a big toolbox and you keep things in there like prayer and nutrition, especially I found, especially in the last like year, just mm -hmm. changing how I fuel my body has done wonders for my mood and for just being able to keep a handle on that stress and anxiety. It like, yeah. it doesn't seem as bad as it would have two years ago when I wasn't mm -hmm. doing stuff like that. Um, but like, like we talked about priorities, picking out priorities and, you know, making stuff like moving your body or going to therapy, especially prayer, changing maybe your nutrition habits, getting outside because we spend so much time inside. You'd be amazed and, and maybe you wouldn't need medication, but maybe you do. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you're experiencing physical symptoms or you can't function, let alone take care of anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, show up where you need to show up and you just, you just need something to kind of get you over that threshold in addition to yeah. everything else. It's, it's, it's a tool, but it's not something that should be entirely relied upon. What we should be entirely relying upon is, is God. And then mm -hmm. using everything else that he gave us yeah. to kind of make it work. Well, that's something I can speak to for a minute is, because I was going to bring up the same thing. I, I talked about this, I think, on the last one uh, about we have physical health, mental health, and like spiritual health, mm -hmm. right? And they all affect each other 
but they also have to be treated separately. Mm. So like I said earlier, you know, we may pray, God, help me, help me, help me. And he might just be like, you do these, you know, there's things you can do. Like I said, it's, so it's not just stepping back, but you get into a good point. Like we're talking about the relationship between our spiritual health and our mental health, but the physical health has a huge role. And that's something I can definitely talk to from my personal experience as somebody who has struggled with trying to stay at a healthy weight and diet. Like if I'm not careful, I'll eat myself into oblivion. Same. Yeah. And like, then that's also a stress response, mm -hmm. right? Nothing makes me feel better than a Big Mac. You know what I mean? So the milkshake, right? Or what's that, that guy from the the Austin Powers movie? He's like, I'm unhappy because I eat, but yeah. I eat because I'm yeah, unhappy. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. me. <laughs> yep, I get it. So I've been stuck in that too. And again, that's all band-aids of worldly pleasure, which is a whole nother thing. But the other thing is, like I said, when I'm dealing with stress and anxiety, I'm, I'm struggling the most. Like I said, I can look and see that my prayer life is messed up, usually, always, but also my physical health is not right. So mm. I never, ever in the world have a better day than when I have the motivation to get up, not only do my morning prayer, but also some sort of exercise. And now people are going to throw their phones out the window. <laughs> Because I'm going to talk about diet and exercise. And please, like, Google a picture of me. I'm not the physical picture of health here. But I am a person who knows for sure that when I'm physically active and I'm eating right, which the way that suits my body, because everybody's body's different, when I am on track with that, as well as my spiritual life, my mental health is always the best. Like I never have a better day than like in the fall. I hate hot weather. So like I'm the opposite. Most people lose weight in the summer and gain weight in the winter. I'm the opposite because I don't like hot weather and I, I eat like a pig all summer because of youth ministry cookouts and stuff. I can live off of hot dogs and macaroni salad. So, <laughs> But in the fall, I come alive because the weather cools down and I hike and bike a lot more. So like this time of year, I'll start getting up early because I'm up early anyway and like hiking or biking on the rail trail or Lake Redmond or something with the sunrise. And like those days, especially like if I go with a friend, like those days when I start my day with that. Now, again, I have a different kind of schedule. I know not everybody has that kind of work schedule. I do youth ministry full time, mm -hmm. so I do not have a normal work schedule. But still, when I make the priority to start my day with physical exercise and prayer and I'm putting the right things in my body the mental health aspects almost completely go away. Um, like the anxiety, the stress, and that's just the practicalities of the way God created us. If you put yourself in a stressful situation, like uh, whatever you can do exercise-wise, you don't feel stressed. Mm -hmm. You know, if you ride your bike for two hours or an hour, whatever, I'm talking about my thing, but like if you go for a 30-minute jog in the morning, whatever you can do, you're not going to feel as stressed because you just put your body through stress. So like, that's why people usually feel pretty relaxed after they exercise. But again, it's also, I can tell from personal, like my life, like when I'm fueling my body properly, which I'm called to do, we're called to take care of ourselves. Um, so when I'm fueled with the right stuff, like I said, everything lines up because our physical health affects our mental and spiritual health. And the other thing I can say from personal experience I've dealt with recently is not only what we eat, but also what we consume. Because a big um, issue in today's society is everyone, not everyone, so many people are uh, addicted to caffeine, mm. which is kind of a random thing for me to bring up. But in my personal life, I've recently, well, my wife, you know, because our spouses are really good at pointing out the things that we're not doing right, which is great most of the time. <laughs> but um, she noticed that I was dealing with, I was stressed more, which leads to me being grumpy and irritable. And she realized I was consuming higher levels of, of caffeine. So like for me, I'm just giving a practical example for my own life here. Caffeine is a stimulant, right? So like if you're dealing with highs of emotions, like the stress and the anxiety, caffeine is obviously not going to make that better. Right. So I had to stop because again, my physical health wasn't great, which meant I was not feeling great and I was band-aiding it with caffeine. So like, I don't like coffee that much, but I was like 
using these additives because I drink a lot of water in the morning. It's something I've always been good at. But I was adding this stuff that had like a ton of caffeine and B vitamins. And I basically was drinking a giant energy drink every morning, mm. although I was convincing myself it was healthy. <laughs> and it was stimulating me to the, and it was great in a way because I was awake and like it counteracted the sluggishness I felt because my physical health wasn't great and it started my day again that's why most people love their morning cup of coffee but it was also with a problem I was having it was amplifying my um, stress and anxiety and all the things we've been talking about because I was stimulated by a drug because um, that's what caffeine is it's a drug so again, I know that's kind of a random thing to bring up, but like for me talking about having to make actual changes in my life, I have recent, very recently pretty much eliminated caffeine, not completely. Um, like I had a small cup of coffee this morning, but like that's all. And like, um, you know, if we go out to breakfast or something like I'm one cup of coffee and I stopped with the, cause I never drank that much coffee anyway. It was more the artificial stuff like I added to my water. I had to get rid of that. And that's what I realized. Like, it's better for me to be a little sleepy and calm than wide awake. And again, I was white knuckling days. Like, then um, my wife, again, because she lives with me and our spouses see the ugliest side of us. Like, she's like, she's, she saw me like putting this stuff in my water. She's like, what's in that? And I'm like, it's all this. She's like, that's a, it was a ton of caffeine. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, she's like, well, no wonder you're like, my fight or flight was constantly going because she's like, you're so, I was, I was just irritable and grouchy and frustrated. And again, I was happy when things were good. Cause again, when you drink that caffeine, you're like, oh, but like I could turn on a dime. So again, that's random, but that's just an example of how in my life I had to just make an actual change. Mm -hmm. You know, God didn't like wave his miracle wand over me and click anything in my brain. I had to stop super dosing myself with caffeine and I have immediately felt the benefits of less stress and anxiety because I've cut that stimulus. Am I a little more sleepy in the mornings? Yes. But again, that's better. So again, talking about our physical health, that's just an example that's worked for me. It's like, I, but I had to make a change. I couldn't just pray that away. Like my wife had to point out again, God works through everyone, especially our spouses. Like you shouldn't be super dosing yourself with caffeine every morning if you're struggling with stress and anxiety and so i i had the humility to listen to her which i don't always have <laughs> and literally like two days later she's like are you feeling better i'm like yep you were right so again um that was just an example of like sometimes we have to just do something and our physical health is super important in all of this again not a psychologist not a nutritionist but like a person who lives in this planet i know that all like i said before physical health mental health spiritual health we have to work on all those things because they affect each other so i 100 percent agree i had foot surgery recently and the first two weeks i was not allowed to walk i had to have crutches i had to be sitting on the sofa and my mood just tanked because i went from like being somewhat active you know i took my dog on a walk i would do weights and I had gotten back into boxing which is something i used to do growing up and now I'm stuck on the sofa and can't mm -hmm. do anything. And I was just, I couldn't figure out why I was so sad all the time. <laughs> and then I started working with a nutritionist just to kind of like dial in my nutrition a little bit more. And she goes, well, you're not, you're not as active as you were. Like that might have something to do with your mood. She's like, what else can we do in the meantime until you're able to move? And she's like, also, did you know that there's some like really great workouts on YouTube for foot injuries? And I was like, I don't know why I didn't think of that, but mm -hmm. eventually I worked up the strength to, to be able to sit and do a workout and just getting that little bit of movement and mm -hmm. that sweat going, it, it did wonders, did wonders for my mood. But I want to back up to something you said about having the courage to act and to actually take action and, and do move. Cause I, I didn't have to get up and do this chair work and I could have sat and sulked on the sofa if I wanted to. But Padre Pio used to say, pray, act, and don't worry. And if you've watched a lot of Disney, like I have, um, Anna in Frozen 2, she sings an entire song about depression. And when you don't know how to carry on, you just do the next right thing. If we're consumed with worry and overwhelm, how do we know what the next right thing is and just act? 
Well, we can quote Mother Teresa here again, because I think it was her that said that becoming a saint is just doing the next good thing. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we know what's good? Well, we study scripture, we study our faith, we participate in the church, and we learn, you know, the difference between good and evil. You know, God's law, God's way he's built the world, there's clear rights and wrongs and goods and bads, you know. And we live in a world of relativism, so the society doesn't want to accept that. But the church and God teaches us that. So defining what doing the next good thing is, is not that difficult because we're called to serve others we're called to show love of god to others so you know it's not this simple i think when you're dealing with stress and all these things we've been talking about i don't know if just moving forward to just do the next good like that might not fix it like i said there's there's we're dealing with something that might take more than just doing the next good thing like in the i know the song you're talking about in frozen too it's a good message but if you're struggling with crippling anxiety, it's not going to work. Right. Because that's just going to be another thing you're going to worry about doing. So that's why I said we have to back up. And again, talking about prayer, we have to surrender ourselves to God and his will and his help, but also take a look at what we already talked about, the aspects of our lives, things that need to change. We have to do something. You have to stop. Because if you're moving forward and just doing the next thing you think is good and you're still just, I'm going to keep using the term white knuckling your life, at some point you just have to stop and step back and just prayerfully take a look at what needs to change. And that's why I said we, I've given different examples of that. Like where's your prayer life at? Where are your priorities at? Are you like me consuming huge doses of caffeine that are screwing you up? So like you have to take a look at that. But um, I know the quote from Padre Pio is pray, hope, and don't worry. Oh, maybe I misquoted okay. it. Okay. Um, so, but again, there could be different ones. But um, so I think he gets it to the, again, it's, it's one of the pray, hope, and don't worry, or pray, act, and don't worry. It, again, it, St. Padre Pio, there's so much to that. But if you want to talk about Padre Pio, we have to look at the Capuchin lifestyle, right? Because he was a Capuchin friar. So if you look at his quote that looks so pretty when you paint it on your wall or put it on a t-shirt, puke, like <laughs> that, there's so much more to it. Because if you look at the lifestyle of Capuchin friars, pray, hope, and don't worry makes sense for them because they give up everything to serve God. They don't own anything. They mm -hmm. live in community. They rely fully on just the way Jesus called his apostles. Take, leave everything behind and follow me. And then when Jesus left and left them to build the church, he's like, go out. you like, just go out with nothing. Like literally like live, rely on God for everything, which comes through people's generosity. So like Capuchin Friars, they don't really own anything. They just live their lives centered around God and serving, which we are called to do in our vocations as well. Not in the same way as married people with kids. We can't just give up everything we like. That's we can't. But there's still elements of that. So what they're dealing with there is detachment. They're dealing with what we're all supposed to work on is detachment. Because again, if you're stressed, if you're worried, if you're anxious, you're probably attached to some idea of the way you think things are supposed to be in your life or you're worried about the future. So we're not supposed to be attached like that. You know, detachment is a huge word in our spiritual lives. We don't detach in the way we don't care about things, but our, we get to a point where God helps us detach in a way that we rely on him so much that our joy isn't dependent on those things our happiness our peace because what we're talking about here and really what i should get to is a lack of inner peace of inner silence that's what it is it's all stress anxiety worry it has exterior manifestations but really it's an interior problem it's mm -hmm. all that noise the knots inside of us what we can feel but also experience and again when we feel frozen in our minds so that's all um Again, that gets to detach. So when you look at, when you reference Padre Pio, it, it's like what you say when people frustrate you about, you should pray more. It's like, oh, Padre Pio said, 
pray, hope, and don't worry. Well, that doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> exactly. But again, you're not, um, you're not looking at Padre Pio and his life fully because the reason why Padre Pio could say just pray, hope, or pray, act, and don't worry is good too is because that Capuchin lifestyle promotes that detachment and full reliance on God that's missing in a person's life that's experiencing these things that we're talking about. Now, again, there's so much to that and it takes time. You know, it's not some switch that can flip. Padre Pio wasn't just, he's a saint and he did all these wonderful things, but like he didn't just, he wasn't born that way. Like it wasn't just immediate in his life. Like all of our, all the saints that we study or we study, we learn about, they had a life to live that was a journey of their path towards sainthood. So, but again, if you're going to quote Padre Pio, you have to go deeper than just the quote and understand mm. that that is very much a saying that would come from a Capuchin of like, just pray, just hope in God, act, don't worry. Like that comes, like if you, if you, you know, study, you know, Franciscan spirituality that comes with that, which again, that requires studying Franciscan spirituality and maybe putting some of those practices into your life. Again, all things that you can do to help combat these issues that we're talking about. We have to stop with the wall quote lifestyle of just pray, like, shut up. Like, yeah, come on. choose joy. Yeah. Like... Okay. Like I'm trying. There's some things in our lives that need to change and we have to change them. God's not just going to come in and fix everything. Like I said, look with that quote, I said, like, if you want to move a mountain in your life, God's going to give you a shovel, you know, or he's going to send people in your life. Like my wife who like pointed out that thing with me, like you got to stop doing that because it's not helping you. Hmm. And like, I had to have the humility to listen. So all of those things play into it. But like the idea that, Oh, you should just pray more. Like, no, like, yes, but no, like, yeah, there's more it's to not it the whole that. story. Yeah, there's yeah. more to it. So continuing on the theme of stress, you know, and we, we tend to face stress from a lot of external forces, um, like having to go to work and like just regular responsibilities. But I feel like there's also a level of stress surrounding being a good quote unquote, I'm making air quotes with my hands, a good Catholic Christian, like attending daily mass or a holy hour or saying the rosary every day or doing a liturgy hours, feeling like we need to do all the things. And if we don't, then we're not worthy of heaven or we compare ourselves to others who somehow can make it work. And we had talked about being able to say no to things. How do we balance the stress of our life outside of faith with our journey for spiritual perfection? It's a good question. So the mentality that you described in that question is the wrong way to think about your life, especially as a Christian, as a Catholic. Being a good Catholic, parts of that obviously is we're obligated. We go to daily mass. We're supposed to pray, saying rosaries, things like that. But that is not the essence of a good quote unquote Catholic and when you talk about how do we balance the stress of our life outside the faith with the journey for spiritual perfection, there's not supposed to be any part of our life that's outside of our faith. Mm -hmm. None. You were created in the image of God because he loves you perfectly. If God ceased to think of you for a moment, you would cease to exist. Our entire lives... Everything we do or say is in response to that. Our entire life is a prayer. Now that puts a lot of things into perspective. Yeah. It puts a lot of things into perspective, especially sin, you know, especially it puts it all, but that's true. Our, the time prayer is not just the it's supposed, it's not, I can't say supposed, it's not. Everything we do or say is in response to God, never ending love and grace that's pouring out on us. Now we put up the walls, we turn our back, we try to hide, but it never stops because if God stopped focusing on you, his love, his will for you, you would just cease to exist. 
So I'm just repeating myself now, but it's important to understand everything that we do or say in life is a response to God, which is prayer because prayer is a conversation. It's a intimate moment with God. So the idea that how do we balance the stress of our outside life with our faith, it's all of it. It's all the same. So the stress that you're feeling, the things that you're doing that you feel that are outside of your faith, they're all in your faith because they're all a prayer. They're all a response to God. They're all part of the life you were called to live. So there really isn't supposed to be a balance. It's also, now, is there a balance between the things we have to do? You know, yes. I mean, the word balance is important, but in general, our whole lives are a prayer. Our whole lives are our response to God. And when you think about that, when you understand that, like I said, it puts a lot of things into perspective. The things that we say, the way we act, the things we prioritize, things like that. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to do all the things we have to do in this world. It just means that we're meant to do them in a godly, holy way, you know, or try to. But again, our, our we can't think of our prayer lives as just the times we stop to pray as we understand it on paper, like what you listed. Those are parts of it that should exist. But when you're cooking your kids breakfast in the morning, that is a prayer. When you are here working, that is a prayer or can be. It's still a response to God when you're having a conversation, whatever. All of those are moments that you can draw closer to God just as much as the times you sit down to, if you do liturgy of the hours or say a rosary, you know, all of these are tools, parts of our prayer life. But again, just repeating myself, it is important. Our whole life is a response to God. Our whole life is a prayer. So it takes the need for, it's not so much about balance as how do I make that more meaningful? Like I said, how do I make breakfast with my kids more like a, the prayer it should be? How do I make my day job, whatever we do, more prayerful like it should be? And that's just a simple act of turning our focus to God and just focusing of being present in the moment. Like when you're there and you're cooking breakfast for your kids, like it's a beautiful thing to be able to do. Sometimes it's stressful. Sometimes it's rushed. Sometimes they're acting like lunatics or something because they're kids. But still, like, you're a mom with kids and they love you and it's hard. But it's also, like, a huge part of God's calling for you to sainthood. It's such an amazing thing. That's also hard, but everything's like that. You know, so, and then like, so that's the mentality is like, you look at it, like you bring God into it. You can pray for your kids while you're cooking them breakfast. You can, you can spend time with God when you fit in the exercise time. We all sit in our car for some period of time. Instead of distracting ourselves with music or, you know, I've been guilty of that where I just will mind them. I'm sitting here talking on a podcast. Like I'll just podcast, podcast, podcast. There's so much out there that's so interesting. And I love audiobooks. But again, I'm just keeping my mind occupied. I'm filling it with things that may be good because maybe I'm learning something or, but what's better? So in those times, I can take those times and just sit quietly and be with God. Because again, I'm not a, I'm not a monk. I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm a married person. You're a married person with kids. Like we can't live the same lives that we read about with like, you know, St. Uh, Therese of Lisieux, right? Like she was a cloistered nun, like St. John of the Cross that teaches these beautiful contemplative prayer practices, St. Teresa of Avila, all that Carmelite spirituality that's so beautiful. We can incorporate that into our lives, but it's not going to be the same as them because we're not cloistered religious where of married vocation but we can still include elements of that but we have to do it in the way that we can which is bringing god where he already is in every moment of our lives and that just takes again a conscious effort 
And will you ever float on a cloud through your whole day? No. But it's something you can work towards. It's something you can get better at over time. It's something you can ask God to help you get better at because we're supposed to fully rely on God. But again, our whole lives are a prayer. Our whole lives are a response to God. And if we remember that, especially like Swagai morning prayer is important because you can sort of set the tone of the day and having those actual breaks throughout the day where you do stop to pray can be those reset moments. But again, like your lunch break can be prayerful. Your every everything, everything can. And that's why I said that it's it's not so much about balance, it's so much as just acknowledging and bringing your focus to God who's already there in every moment of your day. I love that. It really puts laundry and dishes <laughs> in a whole new perspective. And like, like you said, with working out or even just exercising, you know, it gives you a chance to appreciate what your body mm-hmm. is capable of. Um, one of the things I started doing is if I don't feel like working out, I remind myself that I have a couple friends who are battling cancer mm-hmm. and they might not be able to move their bodies the way that they want to, or maybe they're struggling with just the healing process. Cause healing is challenging. It's, it's not an easy road. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to do this for them. And I use that 15, 20 minutes, half an hour to just like kind of make a prayer and say, I'm, I'm moving because they can't currently. Um, so I, I really like that instead of resenting my dishes because well, dishes again, is my least favorite chore. <laughs> and I get it. But again, you, that's why gratitude is important. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I try to remember for myself and I recommend to a lot of people is making like prayers of gratitude a regular part of your day because again things get mundane and frustrating but at some point speaking of dishes like you picked out those dishes because you like them and we're excited to have them but now all of a sudden they're annoying because they're covered in macaroni and cheese crust so like i get it but at the same time like you're very blessed Mm -hmm. you know and that doesn't mean everything's great all the time but taking time for prayers of gratitude is just super important because, and again, what you said too, I mean, you're lifting up something that you're, yeah, that's an intentional prayer for somebody else. And like, I can do this and others can't, and that's an opportunity to pray for them. So all that, that's great. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Dirty dish. I've, I've started thinking about dirty dishes as like, okay, I might have dirty dishes, but also means that I have full bellies in the house and not many people get to say that. Yeah. And we have a way to wash the dishes. We have running water. We have, you know, but it's a practice. It's, it's not something, you know, we're going back to society and social media. Everything's so instantaneous. Yeah. And, Washing dishes takes time. It's not, I wish I could just snap yeah. my fingers and do a transition and yeah. everything again, is instant. Like, that's a part of society that's bad and that, you know, people are, there are like the younger generation, you see a lot of people moving away from that stuff of like, I'm seeing a lot more flip phones. I'm seeing a mm-hmm. lot more stuff like that. It's because this younger generation, not all of them, but like people that are plugging in, like the young people that I see that are taking their faith life seriously, like they are taking active steps away from all of that. And when you talk about like the chores of life, like you can, again, the reason why dishes, the only reason doing the dishes would be stressful is because you're busy and you need to hurry up to the next mm-hmm. thing. I mean, again, it's still not fun, but like if you could take the time to just slowly get that done, like laundry is always worse when you're in a rush. Yes. But like, if you could just take your time and like do it as it goes and, it's not so stressful. That's so why I talked to my wife about like projects around the house. Like I can't stand doing home projects when I have to do it quickly. It mm-hmm. happens sometimes, but like when I, like we just remodeled the kitchen at our old house before we left and I did the whole thing, you know, my father-in-law helped, which was great. But like I told her, I said, I'll do this because I never done a full kitchen on my own. But I said, I need to do it not slowly because like, we have to get it done. But like, I can't, I, I could technically do this in one week if I had to. But then I'm going to hate it and mm-hmm. it's going to be stressful. So I took a period, it took a couple months of slowly just doing it little piece at a time, which not only helped it come out pretty perfect, but also like it wasn't stressful. So that's why I said, like talking about busy lifestyles, like you people wouldn't like hate the chores of their lives so much if they could just take their time with them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense too. So that just gets into the societal issues of are just busy culture. So I want to talk a little bit about um, some strategies. So for instance, one of the things I do when I'm 
when I have a chore that I don't want to do and I've been putting it off, like doing the dishes or doing the laundry, one of the things that I do is I'll set a timer and says, okay, I'm just going to wash the dishes for 15 minutes and whatever I don't get done in 15 minutes, it can wait. Nine times out of 10, I end up finishing it before the timer goes off. Um, and then I just feel better because not only did I beat the timer, but <laughs> now it's done and it's one less thing hanging over my head. So what are some tactile strategies we can use in the moment to combat things like worry, stress, and overwhelm? Well, you said a very practical thing is, is it's not always easy to put into practice, but like you you said, if I don't get the dishes this done in this 15 minutes, it can wait. So most people struggle with the idea of it can wait. Procrastinators like me don't have that problem. <laughs> but uh, some people, especially people who are high stress and anxiety, like, you know, they're perfectionists a lot of times too and things like that. But that's that's a side note. But um, so understanding the fact that like not everything is an emergency is obviously a part of it. But practical in the moment things is like I said, is you ha just you have to stop. When you if you're to the point of freeze and panic and you know, you're not functioning probably fully anyway. Like when you, cause I know this from experience, like you're kind of just like, st I've literally stood in like my house, like so many things I need to do that I can't even get started. Mm -hmm. Like that's a moment to step back and breathe and pray, but also like practical things, like just take a break, breathe, Calm down as best as you can. I know, again, not everybody likes to be told to calm down. <laughs> um, but like, stop. Just stop. Because you're not going to do anything the right way in that moment. Things are probably just, you know, it's not the way that we're meant to live. So those are moments to stop and pray. Um, but the other practical things I'd say in the moment, again, that's pretty much the only answer I can give is stop bring God in. He's already there anyway, but acknowledge him, talk to him, but also what we're missing in our lives, which is something that we need to work on outside of just the moment. Like I said, anxiety, stress, overwhelm, worry. It's all interior noise that has exterior manifestations, right? In all kinds of different ways, anger, whatever. God's voice is silence. God's language is silence. And in order to hear his voice, in order to feel his presence fully, we have to become silence ourselves. It's a really good book that some people in my life are tired of me talking about, but uh, The Power of Silence by Cardinal Sarah. It's very good. Um, but that's what's missing is, and I see it in young people. Cause again, I, my, my full-time job is youth ministry. So I work mainly with teenagers and middle schoolers, young adults too. But, um, and I see it in them in today's society, which is heartbreaking. Um, but again, they don't have any interior quiet or peace. And it's the same with adults. And that requires us getting accustomed to that silence spending time in silence, but not just exterior silence. That's a tool to help us. But as I'm sure you know, you can sit in a quiet room and still feel like you're losing your mind mm -hmm. because it's all inside. It's all that interior noise. Like you can't just turn it off. Like, no. Yeah. And your no. brain just keeps going. And again, if you go sit and meditate, you're not going to, the first time you sit and do meditative prayer, going to like float off the floor in a cloud. Like, no, you're going to be bombarded with all that stuff. But as you set those things aside and ask God to help you and you do it, and then you do it again over time, these things get better. Um, you get accustomed to stilling yourself. You get accustomed to being able to hear the voice of God in the midst of the exterior noise that normally would give you the interior noise. But you can step back. That's what all this prayer time I'm talking about, like, you know, Mother Teresa and her religious order, them spending all that time in prayer. Like, that's all silent prayer, you know. Um, 
a lot of people, like a lot of priests and stuff, like they'll start their day off with like a, a lot of priests. I know will start off with like a quiet holy hour, you know, and they're going to read some scripture. They're going to do whatever. So that's what's missing is like the world's going to be the world. Life is going to be life. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be stressful at times. And we're meant to feel these things, but we shouldn't. We're not called to internalize them in that way. God wants to dwell within us, but we have to have room for him within us. There can't be all this clutter in our like heart, in our tabernacle that's within us. That's why the practice, it's one of the things you're missing. So like when you described this um, in, the, in the last question about this idea of a good Christian, you know, listening, listing the certain things like rosaries and liturgy of the hours and things like those are all good things we should do. But there's three, and again, this could be a whole other conversation. You know, the three types of prayer are verbal prayer, meditative prayer, and contemplative prayer. And we're supposed to have a balance of all of those. And all Catholics are really good at the verbal prayer. We can say the prayers, no problem. But a lot of times they end up not having much meaning because they're just these things that we say. And meditation, people, when I, when you say the word meditation, people think Eastern meditation, mm -hmm. like, you know, Buddhism and transcendental stuff, which people have to realize that meditation has been a part of the Christian faith and the Judaism. That's, you know, Catholicism is built on the back of Judaism. It's been a part of that forever. Meditating on scripture, meditating on whatever God's word, God's, you know, whatever we may have taken in from God, a spiritual reading, something like that. That's been a part of our faith traditions for thousands of years. The Eastern religions don't own that. They have some actually good tools to help you get to that. But the difference is Eastern meditation is about emptying yourself and being empty. Christian Catholic meditation is about emptying yourself and being filled with God. That's the main difference. And the way we fill ourselves with God is in meditation is by what we meditate on. So the rosary, for example, is really supposed to be a meditative prayer. A lot of people just bang them out like they're saying it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because you're taking time for God in a way. But the most beautiful part about the rosary is meditating on the mysteries, which takes more time. You can't do that. And, you know, people, we pride themselves on, I can say rosary in nine minutes. I'm like, congratulations, but it's not the point. <laughs> um, so the point of a rosary is supposed to be this thing that takes time so we can meditate on the mysteries on those things. So that way, when we empty ourselves in those meditative moments, we can be filled with God. So meditating on scripture is the simplest way. So you talk about like, what are some practical things we can do? Maybe not always in the moment, but incorporated in our lives is meditative prayer with scripture. Reading the Bible every day is not something that should be optional in our lives. It's not. If you don't have time to read the Bible every day for a few minutes, you messed up somewhere. <laughs> but that, like, if you want to get to know God's voice, if you want to get accustomed to hearing God and understanding his will and knowing him, there's no better place than in the word that he's given you, us. The Bible is God's word speaking to you in your life in that moment. So if you can in the moment stop, in the midst of your worry and anxiety and crack open the Bible. Amen. Again, that's not always practical. But if you can, that's a great tool because God's word is there specifically, like I said, to speak to you in the moment. That's why when I do Lexio Divinas with whoever, you know, the young adults or the teens, it's always a reminder. And even myself, like God is speaking to me where he is, which is in this exact moment right now. So again, talking about things that what can I do in the moment of worry, stress, and feeling overwhelmed? If you can stop and crack open the Bible and take a breath and go into it meditatively, that's a great thing to do because you'd be surprised how often you'll come across something that'll hit home with exactly what you need. It's happened in spiritual direction where I'll come across, it's one of the ones that, that's one of the things that's so affirming about being a spiritual director is how often I come across something in the Bible or in a devotional I'm doing or that literally like that morning I'll read it and it'll apply perfectly to somebody I'm meeting with in the afternoon or myself a lot too, but it happens all the time, which is really cool. But, um, 
God's word is there for us. And there's also, like I said, all the spiritual readings and stuff like that, like the book on silence I talked about, or there's, there's no shortage of great things to read. And if you like to read, again, not everybody likes to read. I can't relate to those people, but not everybody does. Um, but even if you don't like to read, like if you're not reading the Bible every day, I would not be surprised if you struggle with these kind of things because you have to take in God's word. Again, I come from, I'm a convert, so I, it's very easy for me because I come from those Bible thumping churches where it was Bible and had nothing else. Like, so I don't, you know, I'm obviously not that kind of a Christian anymore, but that still lives in with me. We're like, we're going to start like the, one of the greatest gifts the church has given us is the Bible because the Catholic church did is the church that put together all of that of the Bible and discerned what was divine and stuff like that. So, um, daily scripture reading is paramount, but meditatively taking that. And we hear that in, in, in modern society, secular society, they talk about meditation all the time and they're right in the need for it. They're just wrong in what meditation is supposed to be. Hmm. Cause if we empty ourselves of everything and just walk around empty, who knows what could jump in us. Right. There's a spiritual warfare element here. We haven't even touched on. Yeah. I think father Zeta talked about that in yeah. one of our podcasts yep. about so, chakras. And yeah, stuff. yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I listen to that one. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but we have, we always need to, we're always, we need to be filled with something. We need to be filled with God. So meditative prayer, but then we get to the contemplative side. Now, contemplative prayer is sometimes hard to describe perfectly, at least for me in like a couple sentences, but contemplative prayer is where the true silence comes in. Contemplative prayer is a prayer. It's a gift. We try to sit quietly and receive the gift of contemplative prayer. And that's like this infusion with God, this moment where we're just sitting with God. We're not saying anything necessarily. We're not doing anything. We're just sitting with God. And the closest thing I can relate it to is in marriage, where those moments with your spouse where you're not saying anything. You're just there together. It's peaceful. Usually means it's quiet. And your relationship is growing in that moment. It's flourishing. The love is obvious, but you're not saying or doing anything. You're just there together. Intimacy is the word. Now, again, intimacy, society distorts the word intimacy because everybody thinks when I say the word intimacy, I'm talking about sex. But intimacy is meant to just be what it is, that intimate closeness. And we're meant to have an intimate relationship with God, that close love that union it's supposed to be like that everything in life is built from that idea the idea of how marriage and family is supposed to be vocations it's all built off of that idea of that intimate love we're meant to have with god and that's where the contemplative prayer comes into we sit and we're not meditating on anything we may start with meditation because a lot of times the meditative prayer can go easily then into contemplative prayer and again i can't like that's a whole nother thing like there's books and stuff about that. Um, but like those are the elements that are missing in most people's prayer lives. Because I'll hear people like, oh, I pray all the time, but I'm still this and that and this and that. And you ask them how they pray and they basically are just hitting the verbal end. Mm -hmm. And their rosaries are just verbal rosaries. There's no quiet, meditative and contemplative prayer. Which again, to get to the other thing I wanted to talk about, it comes down to I don't have time for that so I'll say something very bold right now to everyone that's listening to this if you truly don't have time to pray in this way and I'm not talking about hours a day I'm talking about a good meditative Lexio Divina can take 15 or 20 minutes you could do it in 10 but 15 20 minutes is good some contemplative time, you know, like Carmelite spirituality, like people who are third order lay Carmelites, like the first thing they're called to do is like morning and evening prayer, which is like the liturgy hours, but also 30 minutes of silent, just prayer. It's a contemplative journey every day. Um, and I can say, and I'll say this boldly, like if you don't have, if you honestly don't have time for that in your life, when it doesn't matter what time of day you do it, because you can fit it and it doesn't have to be the same time every day. Our, my days are different every day. So the idea that I'm going to pray at this, this, and this time every day is nonsense. But if you truly don't have time to pray a full balanced prayer life of verbal, meditative, and contemplative prayer, 
You need to make changes to your life. Your priorities are out of whack. For sure. 100%. Now, again, everybody's prayer lives are going to look different because we're all called to pray in different ways. God has a unique love for each of us, which means we have a unique relationship with God. Just like your relationship with your kids, they're all different. It's the same thing. So that's why spiritual direction is an individual thing, one-on-one. It's not a group thing because everybody's spiritual life and prayer life is going to look different. But we still discern that and have to have the time for that. And I hear people all the time. I hear from teenagers. Now, I blame the parents a lot of times when it comes to teens, but I don't have time for that because I'm doing this, this, and this, and this. And I'm like, you got to quit something. Again, I know parents don't love it when I say it, but I tell teenagers a lot. Like, if you don't have time to pray, you need to quit something. Not all of it, but like if you're doing so many things outside of your school, which just regular school is like a full-time job for a kid, you got to stop. Like, you got to quit something. Like, you know, football and marching band and soccer and theater. Like, these are all good things, but they're not the most important things. You know, and same with grown-ups. Like, you're busy facilitating those things for your kids. A lot of times when I talk to parents or people who are just busy with whatever they commit to. Like, if you're so busy doing things, even if they're good things on paper that you don't have time for your, to pray yourself, you gotta, you, you're, you've messed up. You gotta change something. And that comes down to, again, um, the Sabbath, for example, Sunday. You know, Sunday's a day that's supposed to be focused on that. We're called to work, to labor certain days, five, six days, whatever it is. But, you know, the first thing God ever made that was holy was not a place. It was a space of time, which is Sunday, the Sabbath, the seventh day. For us, it's Sunday. Jewish tradition, it was Saturday. It is still for them. But that day is meant to be holy. God, it's a commandment. It's one of the commandments. Keep the Sabbath holy, right? And like Bishop Robert Barron said, I'm going to mess up the quote, but the loss of the Sabbath consciousness in today's society is one of the greatest tragedies that's ever happened. You know, some people who are older will remember like the blue laws, like back in the day when Mm -hmm. like it was like it was a law for things to be closed on Sundays. And like that was a normal part of our culture. Even people that weren't religious still went along with it because who doesn't want a peaceful Sunday? But look at our lives now. How many people Sunday is, oh, it's my only day to go to the grocery store. Or kids, I see kids all the time with baseball practices on Sunday morning, you know, or whatever it is, you know, tournaments, all these things just take up time, which then makes the parents busy. And what I say is I'm like, you have to have the humility and the courage to be like, we can't do this anymore. All of it. We can't do all this. We can do some of it. You know, it's actually, I always did extra curricular, I did music stuff like that's important. And again, it's good for us to be in a Bible study or something like that. But like in the end, like if we can't keep the Sabbath holy and have that day of rest, not to mention the prayer time we need every day, we've made a mistake. Now, that might mean that you have to have the courage by the grace of God to step away from something. You may have to stop your kids from being in so many things. Because if you're, I see so many parents who's like, they get off work and they're just he bing bang bing bang bing. It's like a logistic nightmare. Don't I know it? <laughs> uh, yeah, and like there's some good to that. It's good. Like dance, these things are good. Dance and music, or karate or whatever. Like they're not bad. But we're supposed. But at the same time, like the domestic church is so important that. And our prayer lives as a family. Like I can go on this forever, but. Um, like, it's more important for you to sit around the table together as a family and have dinner. Hmm. Not every day, whatever. Like, but most days, I would say, in my opinion, like four out of seven days, you should be together eating dinner at the table. You know, and like Sunday, it's the Sabbath. We're called to keep that day holy and rushing to the grocery store is not holy. Baseball practice, not. You know, even, you know, and again, you can interpret this however you want, but like, Sunday is supposed to be about God. So one of the things I can't help talk about this and not mention the Sabbath. I just did a talk in a theology on tap about it. So it kind of dove me into learning more about it. And like, it's a, like we're called for that day of rest. Like that's the first thing God, like God creates the whole universe and everything we know, including us, 
And the first thing he makes holy is this period of time. And in the Jewish tradition, it's not an option. If you read about the Sabbath from a Jewish perspective, it's beautiful. Because it's not an option, but not because of just an obligation. It's because it's a part of their culture. It's not just because we have to. It's because we need to and we want to. And the preparation for the Sabbath is just as important as the Sabbath itself because that's where the holiness comes in because we're making sure of something. So again, I'm going on a whole other tangent here. It could be a whole other thing with the Sabbath. But that's one thing I see that's missing in society is nobody takes time to rest. Sunday's just another busy day. Yeah, we'll go to Mass. That's good. We're supposed to do that. But is that a rush? Are you getting there? You know, when you, if you read about how we're supposed to go to Mass, you're supposed to get there a little early and be silent and pray. And you're supposed to stay a little bit after and be silent and pray. How many churches are noisy before and after? You know? So, like, these are elements of our faith that we have moved away from as a society and these things we've allowed. And at some point, at some point, as individuals, which will then mean as Catholics as a whole, we have to take a stand and prioritize the things that matter. Our, and that starts, this is where I'm trying to, this whole thing, I'm trying to get back to <laughs> what we're talking about. That starts with our prioritizing our personal prayer lives, our personal relationship with God, because then you are filled with the things you're meant to be filled with, which means you can then share and plant seeds and fill others. Your spouse, you can you can be more effective as a spouse. You can be more effective as what you're truly called to do as a parent. Your job is to make sure that those kids get to heaven, not Harvard. <laughs> It'd be better for your kid to go to community college and know God than go to Harvard as an atheist. But at some point you have to reprioritize. That's hard because we want to keep up with the Joneses. You know, my kid does this, this, and this, and that. And I'm in this, and this, and this. That's all pride. It'd be better for your kid to be home more with you, praying before you have dinner, sharing that time. The domestic church is so important. Again, I'm going on a tangent outside. I'm sorry. But that's what's missing. But it starts with our personal prayer lives. We have to get our personal prayer lives right. We have to spend that time in silence with God, that balanced prayer life, which means we have to say no to things like we talked about. We have to reprioritize. We have to stop in the midst of when we feel like we're not going to survive and surrender ourselves to God. We have to re we have to do our lives differently. The way that but not in some new way, it's in the way that God's been calling us to do from the beginning. Spend time in God's word every day. Do it with your family. You want to do it by yourself too, but like incorporate that as part of your family life. You know, we're supposed to pray with our spouses. We're supposed to pray with our kids. Like I said, like you and I, and I'm sure people listening, we're not cloistered nuns that can sit in our cell and pray for hours, but we can pray when we're doing dishes or when we're doing the laundry, or we can gather our kids up before school and, and pray before we go off. And they're going to fuss and they're going to, but whatever. But like things become traditions for them. And then they might, God willing, what you always want for your kids, they'll do better than you. But what is doing better than you? It's not about, oh, I want my kids to be more successful than me. Well, what does success mean? You want to make more money than you? Or do you want them to figure these things out with God way sooner than you did? What really matters? So again, whole nother tangent, I'm sorry. But that's where it grows from. You know, like I said, our whole lives are a prayer. Our whole lives are a conversation with God. And if we remember it like that, if we focus on that, all these things then can come into a better perspective. And it doesn't mean that the anxiety and the overwhelm and the stress is going to go away. Even Jesus experienced those things when he was on earth as a man. But we can still find joy in the midst of them. We can still feel peace. We can still feel that trust. We'll still be scared sometimes. You're always going to worry about your kids. You're always going to worry about stuff. But it won't debilitate us. It won't stop us from becoming the saints that we're called to be. Right. When you fill yourself up with the good stuff, there's no room for anything else. It goes back to that making sure your cup is filled before you can yeah. pour into anybody else. Well, Chris, this was awesome. As always, we got to talk about a lot 
today and and really just kind of cover all facets of life. So thank you so much for for taking the time with us and and hopefully life is a little less stressful. Hopefully. Just keep praying. <laughs> just keep praying. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.